This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Wilson from F3 Dayton with your weekly Q Source topic, where we review a chapter of the Q Source while also hearing a classic episode of the 43 Feet podcast featuring Dread and Dark Helmet. This week's topic from the book is Q2.3, Missionality, Serving in the High Impact Zone. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dayton's war daddy, Fence Post, is a small business owner and spends a fair amount of time on financial websites. He recently told me he came across advice from Charlie Munger and his better known buddy, Warren Buffett, at their 2022 annual shareholders meeting regarding how someone can find their calling. They advised, find what you're not good at and avoid those things. That advice fits nicely with this current cue point, but it also reminded me of a book from 2001 co-authored by Marcus Buckingham and Donald Clifton called Now Discover Your Strengths. I hadn't picked the book up in over a decade, so I turned to the first chapter to refresh my memory before starting this intro. And how does this book of 20 years ago begin? By referring to the strengths of Warren Buffett. They write, like many people who are both successful and fulfilled, he that is Warren Buffett, found a way to cultivate the strengths he possessed and put them to work. Another example, Michael Jordan, arguably one of the best basketball players of all time playing for the Chicago Bulls. He also tried out for the Chicago White Sox. Let's just say that he struck out at that sport. Dredd has his own way of addressing this topic with his three main points. First, the comfort zone and the need to expand it, is a cultural myth that encourages men to be ineffective. Merriam-Webster defines the comfort zone as the level at which one functions with ease and familiarity. Standing alone, there's nothing particularly negative about that idea. Who wouldn't want to function with the most ease and familiarity possible? It would seem to be the place where a person would be the most highly productive. Maybe so. But the prevailing cultural notion of the comfort zone is something quite different from a place of high productivity. Instead, it is the province of those too fearful or selfish to expand their own horizons. This gloomy view of the comfort zone is reflected in one of Miriam's own usage examples. I need to expand my comfort zone and try new things. Thus, by implication, the unexpanded comfort zone is a narrow and negative thing something that must be escaped or expanded. Conversely, a man's place of highest productivity is the high impact zone, his HIZ, where a person's forcible contact has the strongest effect. It is where a man is most effective because he is working at those few skills that he is hardwired to perform best. Outside of his HIZ, he will find himself mired down in the greater universe of skills that he is not hardwired to perform well. By definition, he is less effective there, but that is exactly where the culture is encouraging people to go by urging them to get out of their comfort zone. Second, a high-impact man's mission marks the boundaries of his high-impact zone. Missionality is service in the high-impact zone. To live right, a high-impact man must exert the majority of his efforts to serve within his personal high-impact zone, the boundaries of which are defined by his mission. Mission is the course of action taken to achieve an articulated purpose. The course of action is comprised of the individual tasks the high-impact man undertakes to bring his purpose into fruition. 
These tasks are not random, but are the outgrowth of the skills for which he is most suited, the things that he does with the most ease and familiarity, and constantly improves through practice. A man's task is formed by what F3 calls his dolphin and his daffodil, also known as his D2X. The dolphin represents each man's unique gift, the thing he does better than anything else, and better than most other people can do it. The daffodil represents the people category that a man is born to serve with his dolphin. Finally, the high-impact man uses preparedness to resist straying from his mission. The powerful results a high-impact man produces working within his high-impact zone creates a challenge to his missionality. His impact within the groups he serves will soon result in requests that he undertake tasks that range far outside of his D2X. No matter how compelling the underlying need sounds, the high-impact man should quickly and firmly decline to do so. With that as an overview, here's the substantive portion from a classic episode of the 43 Feet Podcast with Dread and Dark Helmet talking about missionality. And we're back. And we're back. We're back. Okay. You're listening to 43 Feet, a podcast about leadership. We believe that real leading happens out front, but that means you're probably building the next 43 feet of good road for those behind you while you're running the race yourself. My name is Frank Schwartz, known in the gloom of the early morning as Dark Helmet to my F3 brothers, and I'm joined each week by Dave Redding, or Dread, one of the co-founders of F3 Nation. We're going to answer your questions, pontificate wildly, teach leadership, and otherwise attempt to help you navigate the next 43 feet. We don't have, uh, we don't have time to go through uh, questions. questions. Yeah. So we're going to go right to the substantive portion. Yeah. Uh, it's 30, we have 34 minutes left. Which is probably a record. Okay, but can we take all the time I need? But I still think no matter what you, whatever says on the clock, it doesn't matter. You, you take all the time Thank you, you need. Thank you yeah. very much, Darkest. Because this week we're going to talk about something that I think actually might be one of the most key and important points of the Q source. Which is? Missionality. And that would be uh, Q2.3 if you're following along on our idiotic number system. If you right? happen to be. If you happen to be. All right. Uh, the statement of missionality is serving in the high impact zone. That's, that's the statement. Um, qu- what we're going to do is really talk about this. Not going to do our usual way. We're going to yeah. talk about this as a group. But uh, the idea of the high impact zone, kind of to set it, is to say that there is this this area of a man's life that we think of as the D2X, right? The right. intersection of your dolphin and your daffodil where you are performing the work you were born to perform that you're most suited for, that you do better than, than you do uh, anything else and you do better than most other people do what yeah. you're doing. That's the dolphin. The right? stuff we'll you were built for. Right. And then the daffodil is the people whom you were born to serve. So what you're talking about is doing the thing you do best for the people you do best. Yep. And that becomes the task of your mission, what you do. Right. And then the purpose part of it is the why you do it, the mm-hmm. why you do it. So, for yeah. instance, my mission would be to teach and lead accelerating men in order to invigorate male community leadership. And if you're paying attention, that would dovetail to F3's mission. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the idea of missionality. I try to spend most of my time in that high-impact zone, very little bit of time outside of that high-impact zone. Uh, in the Source, we reject the cultural gooish concept of uh, getting out of your comfort zone. Right. Because if you are doing what you're born to do, you're going to be comfortable doing it. Right. right. And if you're not doing those things, you're not going to be doing your best work. You're not going to be doing the things that sure. will make you and the most impact on you, your family, the world around you, right. all those kinds of things. You don't pr- prove any particular point in trying to do something you're bad at. Except that you can do tough things mediocrely. That's right. Yeah. Now, doing things that are more difficult within your high impact zone, uh, that's a part of missionality, but that's not getting out of your comfort zone. That's that's the equivalent of the gooish idea of trying to achieve work life balance. Right. And that's not really an F three thing. That's really a kind of an Oprahfied vision of how you can be more impactful. But right. really think about it. If you're not doing what you're best at, how could you be impactful? Right. Uh, you just kind of be learning and relearning things other people can do very well. So, for instance, in this group of five men, uh, each of us has a different dolphin and daffodil. Um, I was just going to pick on AP for a second because one of the things he does very well 
is uh, IP related things, or I mean, um, IT related things. Which IPs are part of? IP is part of. Thank yeah. you. Hmm. So he's he's good with technology. I think uh, Crotch Rocket would freely admit that. He's incompetent. In fact, he's, sta he's, <laughs> he's staring at an iPhone right now trying to figure something out, not realizing it's actually not even his iPhone. Or on. Right. Uh, Slaughter uh, is also very skilled in a wide variety of things that nobody else wants to do, most of them being organizational and weasel shaker-ish type things. Uh, so he organized this trip for us, uh, made sure we left on time, got to where we were going, if that task was left to say Crotch Rock and I, we'd, we'd probably be in Shelby, North Carolina right now, maybe. Not, at neither one, at of one of two McDonald's. Right. Wondering. Wondering how we ended up here. Or maybe somebody's car would be left running in the parking deck <laughs> for hours on end. Right. Did anything about that, Dred? No. no. Uh, I did no. do that today. I left my car running uh, for about a couple hours, uh, not by accident, just to see what would happen. As it turned out, nothing happened. Nothing happened. All right. So, uh, Jimmy, I'm going to put you in a bucket first. Uh, would you be able to state your mission in the way that I just did, your personal mission? Uh, my mission has, is and still, I mean, still been is to expand F3 at this point. And I do it and you know, I'm a salesman by trade and I'm a salesman by passion and I love being around people and I garner energy from people. So it's spreading the word of F3 around the, around the globe, actually. So probably not as well as you do, but... That's, well, I don't. I don't I've, think I'm a, a word spreader, really. I've stuck. I've stuck in my lane pretty strong for eight years now, and um, and I love it. So, very good. How about you, AP? You have to lean forward. We're short a couple of microphones here. Yeah. So I'd say mine is around connecting people to their strengths. So connection is uh, in a, d a number of different ways. And so when you say technology, technology is an accelerator. So that's one of the reasons I love IT and technology is because I believe that. Uh, those things accelerate people connecting to their strengths, and so sometimes that means that you know you need to sit down in one-on-one. -on -one, but most of the time, it can mean in my in my field, especially with my F3 work, I can spread uh, what we're trying to do faster. Yep. And so, like a great way that guys with interlocking missions can work together. Uh, one night, oh God, it was probably like 2009, even before F3 started. I was sitting around. I don't know what I was doing, but. I just started messing around with these, all these words that we had. And this is really before F3. It was still Campos. And I was like, I'm going to put them in alphabetical order. So I, I started taking things that we were saying, and I just make, just started like an old-school, idiot-based Google blog. And that was the lexicon. But my efforts took it about one, one thousandth of the way where, it, where it's gotten to today. I mean, that was all I was capable of doing, and it was clunky and dopey, and, but it, it was an idea that I had to be more effective, to communicate more effectively uh, by capturing the uniqueness and the richness of F3 language, lingo, right? The things that guys were saying, and we're just listening, saying, wow, that's funny, I'll write that down. Uh, that's funny, I'll write that down, and then trying to give it a definition, if I could. Uh, as it's turned out, that's been a pretty good thing for F3, or, or a popular thing, or whatever, uh, when I would go on the website and look at statistics, that was usually Lexicon is the most visited uh, area of the site. Which if you think about it, that's kind of crazy, right? Guys are looking up definitions of words that we invented. But AP took that on several different occasions and improved it astronomically, you know, or, you know, just uh, greatly. And the last time you did it, you know, we were sitting here talking about what you did. Basically, you linked it up so you could do it off a spreadsheet. I'm not really sure mechanics of it. But you said, uh, what, it took you three or four hours to do that? Yeah, that's right. And it, it could have taken uh, any number of the rest of us days, weeks, or months and never would have gotten done. I'd still be working on it now, and Jimmy would not have plugged the computer in yet. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be yelling at the screen going, ESPN.com. Right. Siri! Siri! <laughs> right. right. He's trying to get the uh, Amazon thing working in here. He's yelling, Google lady. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not surprisingly, she didn't answer. Weird. Yeah, but that's the, that's the you know that's the beauty of missionality, right? It's it's each of us, especially in this room, is contributing something different. Right, right. That, and that's the idea. We all have a high impact zone, but by working together and locking shields together, we multiply the impact exponentially. That and that's that's the idea. It would be impossible to serve 
the number of men that are served and that will be served uh, if one guy was trying to handle all of it. Yeah, so and it's a problem with policy. the organiza- is a problem with the organizations yeah. is not you got a hero is not is not recognizing that um, and recognizing the role you play within an organization and embracing it. It's difficult, right? And, I mean, a lot of good organizations end up falling apart because its members cannot find joy in serving in their high impact zone in that organization. You know, the drummer wants to be the singer. You know, the the uh, singer wants to be the guitar player. It's like it's funny. I mean, you don't achieve a success that way, uh, and organizations suffer from that. Yeah, you can't have a team of all quarterbacks, right? You're not you're not gonna get real far. Nope. Yeah. So, and and I know we have plenty to talk about, but I know that there's a number of guys out there who are thinking this sounds good. How do I figure out what my high impact zone is? How do I discover that? How do I bump into that? What do I do yeah, that's to, a to understand that? Well, what do you think? Well, I, I, from my perspective, uh, you know, the thing that has helped me the most to try and figure out what it is, is I think it starts with, well, what do you enjoy? You know, what gives you energy? You know, what are the things that you go, I'll put off all these things that are, you know, probably also important, but I'll put off those things to do this thing. You know, and the thing that you go, okay, well, I like to do this thing. And if it's playing video games or if it's something like that, maybe or maybe not, I don't know, right? But the, the things that you do that give you energy that I think also contribute something to your surrounding, you know, your concentrica, your community, that kind of stuff, right? So I think it starts there. And then uh, you see that you saw the movie Unbreakable. Remember that one? Did you watch that? It was a Bruce Willis, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Bruce Willis is nope. a superhero, doesn't know it. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson is this, uh, he's the, you know, he's the, it turns out, uh-oh, uh, hashtag spoiler alert, but uh, he turns out he's the big evil uh, nemesis of Bruce Willis, right? But he didn't know that uh, at the first of the movie. And so anyway, they, they become friends over time. And one of the things is Bruce Willis finally figures out what he's supposed to be there. Like he, he discovers, I'm a superhero and I'm supposed to be protecting the community. And I've always known that somehow, but I, it, it didn't line up in his head until, you know, Samuel L. Jackson kind of was able to mentor it out of him. And then he says, well, now that I know what it is, what do I do? And he says, now you go where the people are. Right. And, and that's the idea of daffodil, right. Is to, to say, okay, well now that I know what it is I'm good at or what that I enjoy doing, who, who do I do that with? You know? Yeah. And you just, and I think a lot of it's experimentation, uh, patience and, uh, a lot of frustration <laughs> maybe right. along the way. Right. I mean, I, I'm imagining there are things that you, thought might be it or or you thought you might enjoy or it took some time didn't it to kind of narrow this thing down to this very succinct statement of this is what i do and this is what i'm about is that a fair yeah i mean my personal belief from watching guys and watching my own life is that everybody already knows their own dolphin uh but two things keep them from admitting it to themselves and the first thing is uh pride so I'm a teacher by nature, and uh, I'm pretty good at it, and it comes very easily to me. Uh, I use that in my job as a trial attorney. I use it in F3. Um, it's not hard for me to do, and I feel when I'm doing it, I feel like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's easy. In that's the comfort like, zone. That's in my yeah. comfort zone, right? That's why I say I don't get out of that, right? Yeah. Uh, now, from a prideful standpoint, I don't want to be a teacher. Teachers, why not? Because doers do, and teachers are people can't do. Uh, I isn't that like a reverse Oprah bomb or something? No, I mean, I, mean I, I think I think that's a that's an old saw that has merit. And uh, all right, um, I don't really like that. I don't want to be that. Um, and I, I'll admit that I see that the role of teachers. I think it's in my mind, it's less masculine or less forceful than being a doer. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. But, okay. But that's what I am. You know, and and uh, I could I could I wish I could wish I was a a, a Olympic skier and I ain't gonna have one either. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's the first thing, pride. The second thing is fear. Mm-hmm. And the fear part comes in when you know what you're supposed to do and you admit it to yourself, well now like you just said, you Samuel gotta do Jackson, it. you gotta go do it, right? Yeah. Gotta go where the people are. You know, and uh 
I've heard a lot of men say, gee whiz, I wish God would show me uh, what he wanted me to do. You know, I wish he would show me. I'm like, no, you don't. Because then you'd have to do it. Because if you really wanted it, he would. Right. And then you'd be still... <laughs> well, the problem is you're afraid to know it and to grasp it and do right. it because you're out of excuses. It's an excuse to go around saying, I don't know what to do. Yeah. If that excuse would disappear, really, you really want to wake up in the morning and have it written on a wall? It's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Now go do it. Well, I mean, all the excuses are gone. So I think that's what stops men from admitting to themselves what their dolphin is. Look, I mean, it's the thing you've been doing since you were a kid, the thing people always asked you to do. When, they, when people want to succeed at something and they need what you do, they ask you. Right. You know, where do you keep finding yourself? Yeah. What's easy for you? What takes the least amount of preparation? What fatigues you the least? I mean, though, though, just ask yourself that. And that's who you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, no, absolutely. Go ahead, AP. You were going to say something. Well, I, the, the way and you were going to say it much closer to the microphone. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Hello, can you hear me, Paxton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the things that you just sort of encapsulated there is that ego is such a is a, such a powerful force, and yeah. you can you can really either listen to it or you can um, you can hear it, but you can ignore it. And and a lot of times with that teacher analogy, really really sort of. Uh, hits home because being a student and being a teacher doesn't sound as, as sexy as like the guy who's going to you know solve cancer or whatever it is. I mean, it's just not, it's not, um, it doesn't sound as rewarding, but truly it really is. And, you know, the kind of getting it back to the missionality piece of this, you know, one of the things that I think about is like, I can talk to, to, to slaughter and I, I want him to talk a little bit about it you know, as well about his, his mission, because I think he's, he's, and I would say this if he wasn't here, he's an amazing dude, and we all think that. But one of the things I think he's amazing at is he really figures out and connects his skills to the community, right? And when it's, when it's true and it's real and it's not from ego, it's, there's an energy around it too, right? And you can see that in others. And so if you're having a hard time finding out what yours is, ask somebody to tell you when your energy is that high. Because sometimes it just takes another person to sort of see you in your world. And, like, and when I see, you know, Slaughter with the Mission Impossible or, or with, uh, with us and, and in his as Weasel Shaker role, like that's when I know, like, wow, that guy is in his zone. Yeah, first thing he did when we got up here is tape the agenda to the wall. Which he had already mailed out weeks before. None well, of us, right. none of mean, us read. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I, I read it, but I didn't adjusted sorry yeah so but that's that's a gift uh of organization uh a gift of uh being able to marshal resources that's really important uh i don't have it. it tires me out to have to do that i had that job in the army for a year once and mm. it, i was it i really had to work hard to not completely yeah. screw that up yeah that was a very difficult job for me. And then, so, you know, over your years of your life, if you're honest with yourself and you realize and you look at yourself, you realize what you are really born to do, what that skill is. Uh, asking a friend is a good way. Ask your wife, what do you think I'm good at? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if they really believe you want to know the answer, um, you know, they'll tell you. And, uh, and I'll, well, I'll share a story in, a, in maybe a little bit, but um, the idea that you, you kind of put out there of you kind of already know, uh, but you don't want to do anything about it. Um, I know that some like it almost sounds counterintuitive to say that. Well, but that's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. That's all I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, and I think the sooner, this is my experience, right? The sooner that I finally started to admit that to myself, that it, that I was lying to myself, and really start getting out of my own way, is when it started to to gel and right. to and really make sense. So when Dredd says that kind of stuff, he, it's not just this weird thing that he's saying that's trying to be counterintuitive, you know, whatever. Like, it, it's really kind of true, right? It's, it, yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at Crotch Rock. It's been the queue of expansion like six times. <laughs> and every time it would be because, well, this didn't work out, that didn't work out. We say, oh, just take it over for a while. And then finally we said, well, it only works when you're doing it. I guess that's what you're good at, you know? Uh, and so that's that's – that's really how to work in your own life, if you think about it. Yeah. If you will set aside pride and fear, uh, that'll that'll be that'll be what works. The dolphin side of it is that is a matter of experimentation. Um, I 
like to go to the places that men are serving, you know, what we call survivors, guys that need help from the community, whether it's they're struggling with substances or homelessness or whatever. But I don't have any particular strong draw to those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm there because I feel like I'm serving the guys who are serving them. I mean, that's my, that's my particular draw. Right. And uh, that doesn't mean I dislike the guys at those things. I, I like them fine. But I'm not sitting up at night. Yeah, so it, it's not the thing that you look at and go, gosh, and you just obsess about how do I do more for those particular guys or right. for, the, for that particular problem right. or whatever it is. I mean, I'm sure every region has has its own pipeline like we have, you know, we now calling Chavo because he's Charlotte's Dabo, you know, <laughs> uh, like every region has the most own. decent human play. Yeah. He's the most decent, the yeah. world's, you know, most decent man yeah. who can also do things. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. Who also get things done. So Chavo <laughs> spends a tremendous amount of energy as does slaughter serving survivors in our community. Yeah. And we all look to Chavo to, when we hit a dilemma, like, we're having a struggle with a particular guy, how we can help. Chavo just says, this is the right answer. Like, he knows. Yeah. And uh, spends a, a lot of time putting together workouts and other things to accelerate our ability to serve serve them. None of these things would ever cross my mind. And none of these things are, to me, seem like they're going to work at all when he proposes them. And they all seem to. Um, whether it's having a workout at the homeless shelter, or the, which is Slaughter's idea of sitting here, or uh, Mission on, Mission Impossible to help the guys in recovery. Those things, I'm like, well, those guys aren't going to work out. Why would they work out? And yet they do. They do. Uh, and maybe you can talk to that slaughter because that, that's your, really, that's your daffodil, isn't it? Or don't only put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, I think helping guys um, reach their potential is, is, is my dolphin. And a lot of times the, the lowest hanging fruit are those who are less fortunate, guys who are in the homeless shelter or in recovery. Uh, but it's also a lot of F3 guys. I mean, I've met guys all along the way who are just starting out. They're having trouble. Um, they're not becoming the people they want to become. They're not reaching their full potential. And those are the people that I spend most of my time with. It's not leadership. It's uh, it's not getting them physically fit. It's just helping them to reach their full potential. And I'll be honest, my ego... How is that not leadership? But go ahead. <laughs> Sounds like leadership. <laughs> well, it, it's the beginning. It, sometimes that's that's helping a guy find a place to live or get a job. It, Leadership for me, maybe not so much for them. They're not thinking in that direction. I mean, that's where it ends up. Um, but my ego, that's, my ego doesn't want me to be me. My ego wants me to be dread. My ego <laughs> wants me to be able to... So your ego hates you? Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, everybody wants to be the quarterback. Every, you know, every kid wants to be a fireman. You know, those are, the, those are the sexy jobs, to get up in front of people and inspire awe with, with, with what you say and with what you do. And that's just not the way that it is. I mean, that's not my script. One of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten, I was kidding with you earlier, but this, this was serious for me, is surrounding myself with people who are willing to tell me the truth. You know, I, 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 Actually, I didn't think you were kidding, and I was really appreciative of what you said, but I hear what you're saying. It, it's important. You know, yeah. It's like the guy that wants to uh, spend his career being a comedian, and finally somebody says, you know, you're not, funny. You're not that funny, <laughs> uh, and you've got to start over. And that's actually what Slaughter told me earlier, but... It's cool. No, I'm just... <laughs> no, you're not that funny. I know, but <laughs> I'm also not trying to be a comedian, so it's okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I ended up back where I think I belong, and that was just kind of the, the default setting, and that's where I kept ending up, and that's how it got me here. Um, same kind of reason. There's guys all across the nation that uh, ended up getting getting into a situation where they were introduced to F3, but then they didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I shine, and that's where we work together as a group. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's why I like our, our, our personal relationship as well, because that's exactly the kind of thing that, you know, I need. And I think every guy needs, you know, is, is someone that can look and go, mm, you're not that funny, you know? So knowing, uh, knowing your mission is a great release. I think mm-hmm. it is because it, you can just stop thinking about it and just do it That's right. and just do it and have confidence in it. Um, and the things that are not the things you do well, or the things you care about. Because uh, I get requests to go to places and do things, and I say no. And uh, sometimes there are guys that I like, and they uh, seem disappointed about it. But, you know, I know the truth, that, the, that my mission marks the boundaries of my high-impact zone. I just know it. And I know going straying outside of that, I know I won't succeed, and I'll let them down anyway. Um, 
do you think it's it's in part kind of that just that willingness to or i guess desire to be nice or to you know i want to help that guy or whatever but is it a or is it maybe is it kind of a little bit of pride where you go well i mean they're asking so i mean they kind of want me so i guess i better go is it hard to say no well when we have in this particular cue point in synthesis we have the four reasons um why you should say no you know and the first Mm -hmm. one the first one is uh, which is helpful to me is you will disappoint the asker. Yeah. And, and a lot of times a guy will ask you to do something is because he see, sees you succeed within your high impact zone. And then he assumes that what you are is a successful guy, that that success will translate outside of the high impact zone. It's like when you make your, your best salesman, a manager kind of thing and right, you find right. out, Oh gosh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and you know, not every COO should be a CEO. Not not everyone. Not right. every CFO should be a CEO, right. and that's 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 it's difficult when someone asks you because they also blow a bunch of sunshine up your six. Wow, you did this, you did that, you could help you. you know, it's really we really need you and all that stuff, and you're like, wow, uh, you know, you really want to do it, you know, you really want to help them, but um, you know, says the new COO, right? <laughs> <laughs> nodding his head right. feverishly. You ultimately won't. This you you won't. What you'll have, you, you said it before, Frank. This yeah. is the way it is with me. The things I'm good at, I do first every day. Yeah. I do them first. Yeah. The things I'm not good at, I put off. Mm-hmm. And or then maybe that's at the why end I've had to find someone else to do them all. Yeah, I can't. Maybe, <laughs> maybe at the end of the day, I get around to it. Maybe not. But at the end of the day is when I have the least amount of energy. I'm going to mail it in. You know, I might say yes today to something a month from now because I don't want to, you know, Oh, well, you asked me, so I better do it. And then when I get up right up in the month, I'm thinking, how do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I was go just, ahead, CEO. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I was just I went through this process. You know, it was a four and a half, five month long process right. of of interviewing for this job. And the executive recruiter that was working with me said something to the effect of, you know, well, I have some CEO jobs that are also coming up. Should this you know work or not work out? And, uh, you know, would you ever want to be considered for that? And it's the first time in my life because the CEO is, you know, seen as the, as the captain of, of everything and the ship and the leader. And, and I said, you know, it's probably only about 5 or 10% of jobs out there for CEO that I would actually even qualify for, both from a, an ability perspective but also from a desire perspective. Like, and for the first time in my life, I felt very comfortable saying, okay, this is who I am and this is what I can do. And I will be much more effective as a COO in almost all organizations versus the CEO. So that, that example you made, I don't know if you picked that out because of my recent change. No, no, I was just thinking. Very, very applicable to me. I actually got asked that question and, and actually said no, which was pretty interesting for me. It was the first time I've done that probably in my career where I said, you know what? Sounds great. It's awesome, but my my ego was actually to just tamp it down and say, yeah, actually, no, I'm probably better as the number two. Yeah, and and knowing that, so my question to you is, is that knowing that, does that give you a sense of freedom? Oh, a hundred percent. It's sort of like the the examples of frameworks or, or anything like that. You know, you, once you understand where you're operating, it gives you freedom to operate with the things that you're good at, right? Yeah. And so once I know my know your role, right, fact, right. Um, once you know your role, uh, you can feel free to lead. Oh, very good. You worked it back to the free look. We have a title. Book. Yeah. The, uh, there's a pretty good Sopranos episode where Tony's sick or whatever and can't, can't run the crime gang. And the number two guy whose name doesn't, I can't recall, Ricky Vanzant or whatever is the number two guy you can picture in your head. The, uh, you know, the second banana had been the second banana the whole time they're together. He gets his chance to be the boss, if only temporarily. And he kind of relishes it, right? I mean, he's been second banana for a long time. Tony Soprano box out the sun. You know, okay, now I'm the boss. And he takes over and his wife fuels that. She's like, you know, it's your time to shine and it's your turn. And nah, nah, nah. And he goes about doing the things that he'd watched Tony do all this time. And he, you know, was the second banana. And immediately realizes that he doesn't have that skill. Like, whereas... Tony Soprano would walk in a room and say, here's what we're going to do. And guys, you start doing it. They question him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have that sense of being able to persuade guys very quickly and very easily. And the decisions he has to make, turns out he doesn't like making tough decisions very quickly. He doesn't realize that that's part of leadership. 
And so he's at it for about, you know, half the episode and becoming more and more aware of this. And Tony finally comes back and he just, you know, has this sense of relief, you know, like I don't have to do this anymore because this wasn't what I, I'm good at. You know, and it's not a moral thing. That's a, a part of it. You think, oh, gee whiz, you know, I'm not fulfilling my destiny if I don't, if I don't rise to the very top of this organization. And that's not everybody's destiny. Yeah, I think it's probably probably few people's destinies. And uh, I would think it'd be agonizing to be jammed into a situation that was outside of what you do well. So, how do you differentiate your comfort zone from the boundaries of your high impact zone? How so, do you know when you need to push out of where you are? Where you are. Yeah, I, I just reject the whole comfort zone thing. Uh, I think the spur actually that we use here says, I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, spur is actually the comfort zone and the need to expand it is a cultural myth that encourages men to be ineffective. And the idea of this is that it, it they, that those who sell the idea, the goo dispensers that sell the idea, are actually trying to get people who are effective to be less effective because what they're trying to do is make ineffective people happier. So ineffective people are unhappy and sad and like, why? Well, effective people make us feel sad. They mock us with their effectiveness, right? So if you encourage effective people to do something dumb, which is to stop doing what they do well, then everybody kind of levels out, right? It, it, it's... It, we'll have the appearance of more effectiveness because by comparison, we'll be somewhat more evened out. It's really like telling a kid who does something really well not to flaunt it, yeah. you know, in school. I remember uh, OBT told me once the school he was sending his kids to had this thing about academic humility. They were grading that. I said, well, how does that work? He's like, well, they're grading you on the fact that if you get good grades, whether or not you're, you know, you're, you don't brag about it to kids who don't do well in school. And I thought, that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing. I mean, we shouldn't tell them to brag, but if you're doing well, we should be, you know, glorifying well, that. You know, say so it's not a matter. Of, bragging is when you intentionally make someone feel better and tell them that you suck right. because, right. just because you feel that way. But dis- when in when presented with great things, right. doesn't. Yeah. Well, discouraging people from taking joy from the fact that they do something well that they were made to do to me is an evil act. To make them feel, and I, that's why I, don't, I hate the comfort zone. Well, get out of your comfort zone. Don't you think you should be doing something that, that you've never done before, that you've never done? So getting back to what you said. So with that as a backdrop, because what you were asking, Slaughter, was how do you know the difference between essentially a comfort zone that you're just gla- languishing in, right? Right. Well, 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 because when theoretically when you get to the place where you're doing what you were born to do, it should feel somewhat comfortable. It should feel right. So how do you differentiate that from the wrong kind of comfort zone? So within the high impact zone, right, where you're having all this impact, you should be constantly looking to, to find more advantage within that. Yeah, like the difference between acceleration and uh, complacency, and getting, out of, yeah, yeah. getting out of your right. comfort zone, you know, doing things you're not good at is not accelerating you. That's right. That's yeah. right. So you have to say, take us as a, as a group, as F3. So we start in Charlotte in 2011. We reach a level of comfort, right? You know, we expand a couple of workouts, succeeded far beyond what we thought we were going to do in our first year. But at the end of the first year, OBT and I both said, we can do a heck of a lot more. I mean, the fact that we had 60 or 70 guys, and Jimmy, you were there. I'm not sure, AP, you were there for right at that moment. I guess you were. You know, we could have just said, well, let's just consolidate this, right? There's no need to do more. There's no need. We were getting requests pretty early on to come to Atlanta and Raleigh, if I recall. In the first year? Yeah, and we could have rejected that, those. That summer. That summer. Okay, first, it's first funny. Summer. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, and then Greenville, South Carolina, was one of our very earliest plants. Before we even knew what we were doing, we accepted those invitations. That's, that was pushing beyond our current boundaries mm-hmm. right but it wasn't getting outside of our comfort zone we were doing what we were doing we were just going deeper in and we hadn't foreseen that we would go to towns in, in other states and cities in other states uh so quickly or ever right but if they had said hey come to greenville uh and help us start not f3 but something you habitat know, yeah, yeah or whatever right? Or right you guys you guys know how to get stuff done why don't you come down here and help us with habitat nightmare right 
right? That was, yeah, so, the, so AP just said Otis Bomb. That was something we came up with in the very first year because immediately when we started having success in our high-impact zone, we started having requests outside of that. And we named those Otis Bonds because it was like a guy farting on the elevator and jumping off, you know? <laughs> you know, it was a guy saying, y'all ought to stop bullying and then running off. Like, you know, like, well, you know, wait a second. So we, we sat down and wrote out our mission and committed ourselves to living within that mission. That was our high impact zone. That's what we mean in the Q source by saying that the mission sets the boundaries of the high impact zone. So within it, whatever you're doing, so I say teach and lead, accelerating men uh, in order to invigorate male community leadership. So for me personally, a couple years ago, uh, or OBT and I wrote Free to Lead. That was one thing. We basically wrote that so we could hand it to guys who we couldn't go there and say, this is what F3 is. It was an explanation. But after that, it seemed to me from my personal mission that I need to be able to help guys accelerate. So, you know, I sat down, I wrote Accelerating Man. That was what I did. Ultimately, I didn't do anything with that because I realized it was too limited, and that became the Q source. But that made me have to accelerate within my high-impact zone of teaching and leading. I could have said, well, the heck with it. I'm not going to spend the time doing it. Right. Uh, but I saw that as the next step within my, within my high-impact zone to do that. So... So that's why the five of us are here this weekend. Mm. We're, 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 we're in our high impact zone. Things have been going great. F3's been expanding. We're at the top of our game. So it's time to change our game. It's or time, go deeper is what you mean. Time to go deeper. We're, we're, we're going right. to keep doing what we're doing, but we're going to the next step, the that's next right. level. Right. Instead of just keep on going on, I guess, a comfort zone, we're pushing through that to what's next for what we've been doing. Well, a, a great way to, to illustrate that um, in something concrete is we went, started going to Peru, Chimbote, Peru, three years ago, two, three years ago. We did it for more for faith-based reasons, for a mission. And, but we realized when we got down there kind of accidentally that, well, these dudes down here, I mean, the funny thing was you go, I don't know how most missions are, but we were really serving women and children. That was my impression of the first year that those were the clients of the mission. That's all that was around. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, that <laughs> was easy for me, even me to figure out because that's who, who was there. And I can remember that first year we were down there, uh, we were having a talk about it one uh, day, and we said, well, where, where are all the men? And it was funny. There was a woman from another church who was with us, an older woman, and she said, well, we know we're here. they're here. And we said, how? And she said, someone's getting these girls pregnant. <laughs> it was pretty uh, you know, yeah. We hadn't thought of that, right? <laughs> So those guys were there, but it was a little bit of a shadow to us. You know, we didn't see them, really. You know, we would go to these houses or whatever we were doing to serve, and it would be all women and children. And I think that that first year we had one, one guy working out with us. Uh, the second year when we went back. is Oscar, first year. Yeah, yeah, Oscar, right. And the second year we went back, we, suddenly there was more guys, suddenly. And then the third year we went back, boom. You know. 80 were, guys. 80 guys. And that was not why we went to Chimbote, Peru. We went to do a, a mission that was designed to serve poor peoples, mainly women and children, and help them by providing some material sustenance to them, help them, you know, building houses for them, uh, serving them food, literally, you know, having a party for them, taking them to the beach, carrying people that couldn't walk down into the water, all good, solid mission stuff. But nowhere on that profile or was our intentions that I recall Slaughter, because you and I have done this together for three years, do we ever say, and we're going to start a workout down there. And this year, that opportunity presented itself. The leaders, the local leaders who were capable of doing it, and this is Jimmy's, you know, the Q expansion. We never discussed it with you. You weren't part of the Chimbote thing. Um, but I think we were within the mission profile and doing it. We just said, when the heck, and, and just did it. And, you know, that's six months ago, and I believe it's working, right? Yeah, it, yeah, they're working out three times a week. I, and I think that's a good example of uh, preparing because the first year we didn't prepare no. for those guys. The second year we really didn't either. And then our mission, our F3 mission, suddenly became the Chimbote mission. It was just kind of a natural matchup. Right. But right. I mean, it was staring us in the face and we didn't see it until the third year when we planned for it. And, that, and that's when everything fell into place because right. that's what we're supposed to be doing. 
that's that's that was our high impact zone as a group of men uh, was to serve them in that way. Of course, here we are in America diagnosing uh, what we call the, the sad clown syndrome as the problem in communities. Men stuck in this status quo, not, not leading anymore. Communities not accelerating. Of course, if you're not accelerating, you're decelerating. We diagnosed that problem and said the solution is F3 to, to invigorate male community leadership. It starts with working out, moves to fellowship. Faith happens because of that. Guys start looking outward from their own sorry little selves. Same thing that happened to all of us, right? When we were freed from whatever was holding us back. For some guys, it's alcohol. For some guys, it's rage. For some guys, it's porn. Whatever it is, freed from that. With other men, then we start doing stuff. Here's what I don't think we understood. It's the same for them in Peru. Yeah. They're no different than us. Hombres is hombres. Hombres is hombres, right? Hombres is stan hombres. Oh, sorry. Am I right about that? Verdad. 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 Okay. So, uh, <laughs> see, yeah, it, it, that, that, in my mind, that is a, an example of staying within your mission, staying within the missional boundaries of your high impact zone, but going deeper and doing something that it's, it's not uncomfortable. It just requires you to abandon personal comfort. I mean, it's easier to plant a workout in Rock Hill. South Carolina than it is in Chimbote, Peru, or wherever we're going next. And we, but within our eye impact zone and not being restricted by the idea of trying to be comfortable about it, that's what we would do. That's how I see it. If that answers your original question, that yeah, we went a, we went a long way around it. So finishing up the last couple of ideas of how you do that, how you stay within that, we said you know you'll disappoint the asker. Mm-hmm. If you get outside your high impact zone, ultimately you'll mail it in. It'll be obvious. And that person will say, why the heck did I ever think this guy could do it? Right. Second reason is uh, you'll deny your own daffodil. Yeah. You're, you know? you're going to be serving guys that aren't part of why you're supposed That's to. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The Peruvian guys are, you know, but if we suddenly decided we were going to you know, start a competing habitat for humanity effort, we would abandon our daffodil. You know, and personally, that's the, that's the same for you. Um, and they, you know, my belief is, and whatever your belief system is, that God made us, God's got this worked out. There's there's a number of me's, there's a number of you's, everybody, so we all work together like parts of the body. And if you're supposed to be a foot and you insist on being a hand, well, you're denying everyone what you were supposed to do. And you're making it less likely that you'll be successful. Third, you'll box out the right guy. Right. You know, you're boxed out the right guy. And I think the example you're using here, I haven't read in a while, is this uh, one time a guy asked me, should I marry this woman, you know? And I said, well, why are you asking me? He's well, well, uh, I'm not sure she's the right girl for me, but she's okay, and I think I love her, and, you know, whatever. And I said, well, if you marry this woman, the woman, the guy she's supposed to marry won't marry her. Right, it's a it's a marriage of convenience, it's laziness or fear that this is the last woman you'll ever meet or whatever, right? And for anybody who's married the wrong person, um, you know that that's a mistake. Ultimately, it's not going to go well. But the other thing is, you're blocking you're blocking that guy out. He's out there, right? So if you're performing a mission that you're not supposed to be, some other dude is waiting on the wings for you to stop failing. <laughs> you see what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he can walk in and do it. Yeah. And uh, while you're boxing him out, he can't. So that's another reason to say no. Um, and the last reason is, you know, ultimately it's a joyless experience. Uh, gosh, I look at those. Speaking pi- of mailing it in, right? Yeah, speaking of mailing yeah. it in. I love looking at pictures of workouts, what we're doing and what we're doing, and, you know, the smiles on guys' faces and the joy. You know, Chimbote's perfect example. I mean, you're exactly in your wheelhouse, man. Just the. The, the joy of it. You know, when you see a photograph of a guy doing exactly what he was supposed to do, you know, this goes back to the reason why we called it a dolphin in the first place. It's because when a dolphin is swimming, it's got a big grin on its face. It's making a loud dolphin noise. It's spraying water everywhere, right? We don't look like that when we swim. We look like it's the effort that it is, right? You're trying to not drown. Really, that's... <laughs> trying to not drown. Exactly right. So that's kind of how it breaks down. Um... I feel very blessed to be with you guys, um, and we've been together, some of us have been together eight or nine years, some of us a little less, but it's been a very stable 
and uh, tremendously impactful team. And then outward from us are gigantic groups of guys doing the same thing. If you listen to one of these, you know, pick up the six podcasts and wherever Funny Bones ends up and he starts talking to us, and I'm like, I'll say, oh, that's the crotch rocket of, you know, wherever he is. You know, that's the AP. You can hear it. They got a guy, right? They, they are doing the same thing, interlocking in the same thing. And if we have had that impact, uh, as AP was remarking earlier while we were having dinner, he said that, uh, you know, his wife looked at him and said, you know, think of all the impact, you know, that you're having on generations of people, generations of it. I mean, it's a heavy responsibility, but it's a tremendous opportunity. And that is just going to bring, bring joy. Frank, I think you'd think that, wouldn't you? I always do. Um, it's, um, it's a tough place to have that kind of dream, right? Oh, you can be, yeah. And, and you, you, you want to you see it. I feel like I had that dream, and one day I could see it. Uh-huh. I was like a bird in a cage, and I broke in. I demanded that somebody free it. Mm. And that's how it all started for me. Can I tell you something, Doa? You can. Not like the rest of these guys. They're pretty good looking. You got a face for radio. <laughs> it's a good thing this is a podcast. It is. It is. There was a dream. And one day I could see it. Like a bird in a cage, I broke in and demanded that somebody free it. Thanks for listening to 43 Feet, a leadership podcast. If you have questions about leadership, F3, or anything else, Write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com. Until next time, we'll be here in the unknown, the uncomfortable, the difficult, the 43 feet out front.